Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere, like when the tailgate party shows up at your house after the big win. Everything's great until the hot plate gets too hot for the tablecloth. Now your kitchen's up in smoke. And if you don't have the right home insurance coverage, the cost to fix this could sideline your savings. So switch to Allstate, save money, and get protected from mayhem like this. Not available in every state based on coverage selected, subject to terms, conditions, and availability. Savings vary. Hi, it's Gabby Reese, and this podcast is powered by Laird Superfood. It was created in our kitchen by my husband, big wave surfer Laird Hamilton, and it all started with a simple idea. What began as Laird's secret for long-lasting energy on the waves is now Laird Superfood, offering a full range of delicious plant-based creamers, coffee, greens, and more. Visit LairdSuperfood.com and use the code GABBY2024 and save 20% on your first order. And we're back on Dealing Together, where we help good people who fell for bad deals. First caller? I had to buy three identical sweaters to get the fourth free. Ooh, you got fleeced. Next caller, what's your deal? I paid for 20 tanning sessions, but had to use them in a month. Now I'm orange. Ooh, you got burned. Next caller? I traded in my old Samsung at AT AT&T for a new Samsung Galaxy S24+. Hmm, how's that bad? I got to choose from their best plans. So what went wrong? Nothing went wrong. And you're calling to... To request a song? You want a song. Of course. The choice is yours. Our best smartphone deals. Your choice of plan. Learn how to get the new Samsung Galaxy S24 Plus with Galaxy AI on us with eligible trade-in. AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Offers vary by device. Subject to change. S24 plus 256 gigabyte offer available for a limited time. Terms and restrictions apply. See att.com slash Samsung for details. This season on The Thread, we began in the Rose Bowl in Pasadena, California, with one of the most iconic moments in sports history. What a day this was, and it continues from the Rose Bowl in Pasadena. The United States has won the Women's World Cup. But so much led up to that moment when the 1999 U.S. women's soccer team hoisted the World Cup trophy. Long before the 99ers took the country by storm, the members of the first national team in 1985 were just trying to keep up with the rest of the soccer-playing world. We had to fight for every moment and every opportunity in a match. It was definitely harder than anyone could have ever anticipated. The first members of the women's national team played for little pay and even less recognition. They were just happy to have the chance to play the game they loved something that the female athletes who came before them had not enjoyed in America. Back in my day in high school, which I know is a difficult concept for younger women to understand right now, but there were no teams for girls. There were no sports teams for girls in my high school. Then, in 1972, thanks to a law called Title IX that banned sex discrimination in education, everything started to change. The doors gradually begin to open as people begin to talk about equal opportunity for girls and women and including women in sports. Once these doors open, women just charge through. But just charging through was not enough. Many institutions in America were reluctant to put women on a level playing field with their male peers, especially when it came to sports. Then, an unforgettable protest from the members of the Yale women's crew team caught the attention of the country. They had Title IX and blue marker on breasts and backs, and they dropped trout. Title IX, the law that the Yale women wanted enforced, was far from inevitable. It came into being because of the efforts of several key players off the field. To get a bill that banned sex discrimination passed was an incredible feat. 
one that required not just political muscle and persistence, but a whole lot of strategy, subtlety, and smarts. Pinkney pirates took the stage. Wahine were making waves. A generation comes of age. A sandler points the way. Let us play, let us play. Oh, let us play. Let us play, let us play. I'm Sean Braswell. Welcome to The Thread, a podcast from Ozzy. When Bernice Sandler died in January 2019, at the age of 90, she was fondly remembered as the godmother of Title IX. And she deserved that title. Without Sandler's efforts, the landmark law would never have gotten off the ground. My mother was unbelievably bright. This is Deborah Sandler, one of Bernice Sandler's daughters. She actually went by Bunny. That was her nickname. So I'll probably refer to her as Bunny when I talk about her in this. Bunny Sandler was born in 1928 in New York, the daughter of Jewish immigrants. They were, you know, fairly traditional in a lot of ways. So, you know, my mother kind of grew up thinking that she would, you know, get married as one does and have children as one does. And Bunny Sandler did as one does. She got married and she had two children. And then, once her daughters were teenagers, she did something a bit more unconventional for a woman of her time. She went to school and decided she was going to be a psychologist or a therapist, so she got a doctorate in counseling and did extremely well in school. At the age of 41, Dr. Bunny Sandler started to apply for teaching positions. She had an impeccable resume, a master's degree from City College in New York, a doctorate from the University of Maryland, And it just so happened that there were seven open positions at Maryland, a place she had already been teaching as a graduate student. Sandler was turned down for all seven of the positions. She was told, you don't really need this job because you have a husband supporting you. And she was told, you know, you've been out of work too long because you were home raising children, so you're not really right for this job. The frustrated Sandler went looking for more answers. This is the late Bunny Sandler in a 2012 interview talking about what happened next. So I went and asked one of my friends on the faculty. Without missing a a beat, uh, he said, well, let's face it, you come on too strong for a woman. And I went home and I cried. (laughs) And my then husband was really very good. He said, are there strong men in the department? And I said, yes. And he said, then it's not you, it's sex discrimination. And it took me a while to realize that's what it was. And then I got mad. The University of Maryland picked the wrong woman to piss off. Deborah Sandler again. My mother was a badass. She had, I think, a sense of righteous outrage whenever something was just not just, when something wasn't fair. Bunny Sandler's sense of justice began in school when she was a young girl. The boys got to do things like clap the erasers to get the chalk dust out. The girls were not allowed to do that. And she complained about that. Sandler's outrage didn't stop when she got older. After she was rejected for the teaching positions at Maryland, Sandler started to do what she did best, research. She assumed that since sex discrimination was wrong, it would also be illegal. She was mistaken. At the time, in 1969, there were no laws banning sex discrimination in education. But Sandler found something almost as good as a law. She was looking at an executive order and saw that the word sex was in there and just literally, you know, cried out loud with discovery and delight. It was Executive Order 11246, to be precise. 
Signed by President Lyndon Baines Johnson in 1968, the order banned federal contractors from discrimination on the basis of race, color, religion, national origin, and sex. An actual ban on sex discrimination. Sandler couldn't believe it. And because colleges receive federal funds, the president's executive order also applied to them. It was just that American colleges weren't obeying it. But in order to bring a legal action to hold the schools accountable, Bunny Sandler needed examples of sex discrimination to prove her case. Lots of examples. So she put her research skills to work. And she began to talk to other women at the University of Maryland, where she had gone, about their experiences. Karen Blumenthal is a journalist and author of Let Me Play, the story of Title IX, the law that changed the future of girls in America. She began to expand her research and talk to women all around the country who had earned advanced degrees and then found themselves shut out in the workplace. Sandler compiled a lengthy report documenting sex discrimination in college hiring, pay, financial aid, and more. Then she started filing complaints against colleges with the U.S. Department of Justice. Sandler charged the colleges with violating Executive Order 11246. She filed complaints against every college and university in the country, more than 250 in total. She didn't stop there. She sent copies of the 80-page complaint to newspapers and other media outlets. Then... She has several hundred copies printed, and she sends them to every congressional office. One of the members of Congress who received a copy of Bunny Sandler's complaint was Edith Green, a congresswoman from Oregon. It was a kind of fortuitous meeting of the two. And she begins to work for Edith Green and help provide information uh, for her. Bunny Sandler's exhaustive research had put every college in the country on the hot seat. Now, with the help of Edith Green, her efforts were about to change the law itself and help level the playing field for millions of American women. Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere, like when the tailgate party shows up at your house after the big win. Everything's great until the hot plate gets too hot for the tablecloth. Now your kitchen's up in smoke. And if you don't have the right home insurance coverage, the cost to fix this could sideline your savings. So switch to Allstate, save money, and get protected from mayhem like this. Not available in every state based on coverage selected, subject to terms, conditions, and availability. Savings vary. Tired of spills and stains on your sofa? Wash away your worries with Anabay. Anabay, the only sofa that's machine washable inside and out, where designer quality meets budget-friendly prices. That's right, sofas from only $639. Anabay brings you a no-risk experience with pet-friendly, stain-resistant, and changeable slipcovers made with performance fabric, cloud-like comfort with high-resilience foam, and hypoallergenic featherless down that needs no fluffing. Their steel frame ensures longevity, and you can rearrange the modular pieces anytime. And here's the cherry on top, up to 60% off site-wide. It's backed by a 30-day satisfaction guarantee, so if you're not absolutely in love, send it back for a full refund. No return shipping or restocking fees. Every penny back. Join the revolution of easy, clean, stylish living with up to 60% off at anabay.com. That's A-N-A-B-E-I.com. Offers are subject to change and certain restrictions may apply. Hi, I'm Gabby Reese. Join me and my husband, big wave surfer Laird Hamilton, on our journey with Laird Superfood. From our kitchen to yours, we've crafted delicious plant based creamers, coffee, greens, and so much more using high quality functional ingredients. Visit LairdSuperfood.com and use the code GABBY2024 for 20% off your first order. Edith Green was a Democratic congressperson from Oregon, 
and she was first elected in 1955. Susan Ware is a historian and author of Game, Set, Match, Billie Jean King and the Revolution in Women's Sports. To be a woman and to get elected to Congress in the midst of an era we think of as just the height of domesticity, uh, that's quite an accomplishment. Green, a former teacher, helped create the first community colleges. She helped fund new libraries in rural areas. People in Washington started to call her Mrs. Education. Then Green started to realize there was something more she could do for American education and for women. Author Karen Blumenthal. So in the 1960s, Edith Green is holding hearings and listening to some uh, superintendents talk about programs they had to keep boys from dropping out of high school. And she's listening to them and she says, wait a minute, did I hear you say you had programs only for boys to keep them from dropping out of high school? And they said, oh yes. And she said, well, what about girls? And they said, oh, well, you know, they don't really need high school degrees. They're just gonna become housewives and mothers. And this was shocking to her. She couldn't imagine that this was legal. Green started to focus her attention on how women and girls were treated differently in education. Susan Ware again. Back in 1970, there were a lot of people who literally did not believe that there was such a thing as sex discrimination in higher education. And they needed to be shown that this was, in fact, a problem. But to show her fellow members of Congress the problem, Green needed evidence. Enter Bunny Sandler. Sandler provided Green with the data she had gathered on sex discrimination. She supplied the names of dozens of witnesses who could testify to that discrimination. In the summer of 1970, Edith Green called the first congressional subcommittee hearings to address the issue. The congressional hearings were such a good place to do this, to gather all this information. So it couldn't be dismissed as, oh, that's just one anecdote or that's just one incident to build the pattern, to really show people that this was, in fact, a serious issue. For seven days, Green solicited testimony about how women were being denied opportunities on campuses across the country, from admissions to employment. For example, at the time, most American law schools and medical schools limited women to less than 10% of their student bodies. And even those women who did earn graduate degrees found it nearly impossible to get jobs. Green found such facts astonishing. And of course, her point behind it is saying to them, look at all the wasted woman power. All these women who have these graduate degrees or who want to have professional careers who aren't being hired, why aren't we giving them a chance? Green invited college administrators to testify on the issue of sex discrimination. No one accepted her invitation. No newspapers covered the hearings, and no one really paid attention. But Green had her evidence. Now came the hard part, getting a bill banning sex discrimination through a nearly all-male Congress that did not think sex discrimination was a problem. Edith Green was up for the challenge. She knew that a larger higher education bill was about to come before the House Education Committee that dealt with issues like financial aid and school busing. Green seized the opportunity. Karen Blumenthal. Edith Green was a strategist. She knew that you had to work the system well. And she saw an opportunity to get into this Higher Education Act, an amendment that would outlaw discrimination against women. 
And so Green went to work. She waits until the whole full House Committee on Education is together to propose this amendment to outlaw sex discrimination in education. And she does it because she has some great allies in this committee, including Shirley Chisholm, the first African-American woman in Congress, Patsy Mink, the first woman of color in Congress, and some other supporters. Not everyone in the House Committee was receptive to the need to address sex discrimination. The men in the committee, who are most of the members of the committee, think this is hilarious. Um, it, it, it just seems absurd to them. I mean, of course, women should go to school, but they shouldn't go, you know, to Harvard. Um, and one of them gets very tickled at the idea that you might have male stewardesses. After the laughter died down, a majority of the committee's 35 members approved the bill, including Title IX. The next battleground was the full House of Representatives. Supporters of the women's rights movement and Green's allies in Congress asked her what they could do to help get the bill passed. She advised them to do nothing. Green told them, nobody knows what's in this bill. If you start asking questions, lobbying for it, they're going to ask questions. Susan Ware. They didn't want to draw too much attention to it. In some ways, it was a better tactic to just include some of these riders or pieces of legislation and then have people vote on them and really not engage too much about what they might actually do. The House started to consider the education bill. For days, members of Congress debated the hot-button issues like school busing, and the question of sex discrimination flew under the radar. Then a powerful constituency took notice of Title IX. Karen Blumenthal. And it turns out that there are some people in the U.S. who were opposed to it, and those are namely the Ivy League universities. Harvard, Princeton, Yale, all of them are aghast at this idea that now, if this law passes, they may have to accept women. The Ivy League schools weren't the only ones opposed to Title IX. The New York Times, um, when it was being debated in the House, actually ran an editorial where they opposed this amendment saying, you know, men and women have different needs and ambitions. Green eventually gave in. She agreed to support an amendment to address the Ivy League's concerns with the bill. And their compromise is that they will outlaw sex discrimination at public schools, including in the admissions of undergraduates, but not at private schools like Harvard and Yale and Notre Dame. And even today, in the fine print on the application to any of those schools, there is a little disclaimer that says undergraduate admissions are not covered under Title IX of the Higher Education Act of 1972. Under the law, they still can make decisions based on gender. You heard that correctly. Ivy League colleges lobbied Congress to let them discriminate against women, and they succeeded. Green lost that battle, but she knew that she could still win the war. The slimmed down Title IX passed the House. It was time now for a second showdown in the U.S. Senate. And it was in the Senate that the subject of women's sports came up for the first time. Once the House approved Title IX, it was time for the U.S. Senate to consider it. Thus far, the subject of sports had not come out in the discussions of the bill. This was partly by design. Edith Green knew what she was doing. Green had been very careful not to make sports part of the debate over Title IX in the House committee hearings. She knew the subject might end up overshadowing the broader intent of the bill. Historian Susan Ware. One thing that's important to remember about Title IX is that it wasn't originally about women's athletics. It was about the general discrimination that women faced in higher education. Author Karen Blumenthal. 
In the Senate, this issue was taken up by uh, Senator Birch Bayh from Indiana. At the time, or at least part of this time, there was only one woman in the Senate. I've had young people say to me, um, well, what did the women in the Senate say? Well, there was one. Birch Bayh, who died in March 2019, played a key role in Title IX's passage. The liberal senator from Indiana was a crusader for equal rights and expanding access in education. This is by in a 1969 interview. And I think we need to make educational opportunity available for more and more people. We need to give the young people of our state the best education we can. And Birch Bayh was one of the few male senators at the time that included women in such pronouncements. It was in the Senate debate on Title IX that the issue of college sports finally came up. It started when Senator Bayh was questioned by his colleague, Senator Peter Dominic of Colorado. Dominic wanted to know how broad the ban on sex discrimination in colleges would be. Would locker rooms and dormitories now have to go co-ed? Bayh was quick to reassure his colleague. Um, no, he makes clear, this is not about locker rooms, it's not about co-ed dormitories. Then somebody says, well, you know, is this gonna allow girls to play football? And again, there's laughter, because again, that's hilarious. And Bai assures them that, no, this is not intended to, um, you know, allow girls to play football. To which Senator Dominic jokingly replied, if I may say so, I would have had much more fun playing college football if it had been integrated. More chuckles ensued from the Senate gallery. And that was it. And so that's really the only discussion of sports in all the debate in the House and in the Senate, this one little exchange about locker rooms and football. The Senate voted to pass the bill, including Title IX. It was time to make history. That's next on The Thread. Title IX was signed into law by President Richard Nixon on June 23, 1972. It was a truly historic piece of legislation. But nobody really noticed. Author Karen Blumenthal. And it got almost no attention. You know, a line here, maybe a, a secondary story inside there. Um, so people were hardly aware that there was this amendment in this huge education bill that outlawed discrimination based on sex. The next day, the New York Times devoted just one sentence to the part of the bill that outlawed sex discrimination. A single bullet point that read simply, the bill would take federal assistance away from any graduate school or public undergraduate college that discriminated against women in its admissions policies. Historian Susan Ware. It was just another piece of legislation, not unworthy, but not really all that n noteworthy. Plus, another development in the nation's capital was starting to dominate the news. I'm always struck by the fact that the actual Title IX legislation was signed into law by President Richard Nixon one week after the Watergate burglary that would eventually topple his presidency. So a lot was going on in Washington in June of 1972. Few people might have noticed at the time, but thanks to Title IX, a new era in America had begun. And today, nearly half a century later, it is impossible not to notice the impact of the law and of its proponents like Bunny Sandler. Sandler became known as the godmother of Title IX. She continued to fight against sex discrimination long after Title IX was on the books. Historian Susan Ware. She made a career out of something that didn't even exist when she first started. Um, but it was a perfect match to her talents, both in terms of conceptualizing an issue, gathering data, 
and then trying to see a pragmatic way forward with legislation and political persuasion to try and change that situation. It was a profession that required a balance between dogged determination and civility. Again, Bunny Sandler's daughter, Deborah. She was never one of those people who'd be out in the streets screaming at people. She, that just wasn't her style. You know, she really believed in being um, civilized and polite and working within the system. Sandler also demonstrated plenty of persistence over the years. At one point, she was supposed to go, I think, to Michigan to give a speech. And um, she said to the woman who had arranged for it, well, um, I don't fly. What's the train schedule? Because my mother at the time was afraid of flying. And the woman said to her, girly, you get on that plane or get the hell out of the movement. She just, well, okay, I'm going to have to learn how not to be scared of planes. So she got on the plane. And she eventually became a million-mile flyer with United Airlines with all the business travel she did and got totally comfortable with flying. Sandler gave more than 3,000 presentations across the country, including many at the colleges she had once filed suit against. And she continued to advocate for women's rights and social justice right up until her death. Sandler never anticipated when she first started what an impact her work would have, including on the world of sports. I know that she was surprised and utterly delighted over the years to see um, all the expanding opportunities for girls and women in sports as a result of Title IX. In 2012, on the 40th anniversary of Title IX, Sandler was honored all over the country. The University of Louisville had a special celebration during halftime of a packed basketball game. Sandler was presented with flowers and a plaque at half court. And then she was given something even more special. Dr. Sandler, lastly here to thank you in person. The captains are joined by their distinguished alumni and current teammates. One after another, the captains of the women's sports teams at Louisville walk onto the basketball court. Team captain Katie McDonald and the women of soccer. Team captain Aaron Conrad and the women of field hockey. Each captain walks up to Sandler, gives her a hug, and presents her with a t-shirt. Bernice, we are the notes of your symphony. The 13 shirts from our captains bear the name of every woman that ever played at the University of Louisville. Your impact is unparalleled, and it lives on and on. And Sandler's impact, and that of Title IX, has gone far beyond sports. Here's Sandler again in a 2012 interview. I think the real surprise has been that it's been like a social revolution. And we didn't know that at the beginning. We thought it was just a little bit of discrimination here and there. But it's a social revolution that will have as much impact as the industrial revolution. And the reach of that revolution continues to be felt. Sandler's daughter, Deborah, is now a family lawyer in California. It's possible I would not have ended up a lawyer if it was not for my mother, because one of the things that happened with Title IX is that there was an opening of opportunities for women and girls all over the place. You know, when I was a little girl, girls weren't lawyers. That didn't happen. By the time I decided I was going to go to law school, 30 or 40 percent of my graduating class were women. Sandler's efforts changed the composition of college campuses and workplaces. They gave millions of girls and women the chance to play organized sports. She always said to herself when she was a little girl, you know, and, and later also, she always said, I wanted to change the world. And as she got older and was looking back on her life, she said, I always wanted to change the world, and I did. 
The women behind Title IX, like Bunny Sandler and Edith Green, could not have changed the world without another trailblazer working behind the scenes. I am radical to the extent that I want to see the individual human being as free as is possible to to fulfill that individual human being's potential. Dr. Polly Murray was a civil rights leader well ahead of her time. Murray realized early on she was different from most other people she met. She was mixed race. She was transgender. It was often hard for her to find acceptance. But I think one of the great things about Polly Murray is that while she could easily have been crushed by all of the rejection that she met, she turned this sense of being in between into one of the most important ideas of the 20th century. Polly Murray knew that it was just as wrong to discriminate against someone because of their sex as it was to do so because of their race. So she set out to change how lawyers and the law thought about sex discrimination. And Dr. Murray's unheralded efforts paved the way for Title IX and so much more that we take for granted today. What I always say is, while she might not have been a woman of her time, she is certainly a woman of our time. Let us play, let us play. Thread is produced by Robert Kulos, Shannon Williamson, and me, Sean Braswell. Evan Roberts engineered our show. This episode features the song Let Us Play, written and performed by Teacup Gin. You can hear more of their songs at teacupgin.com. To learn more about The Thread, visit ozzy.com slash the thread, all one word. And make sure to subscribe to The Thread on Apple Podcasts, follow us on iHeartRadio, or listen wherever you get your podcasts. Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere, like when the tailgate party shows up at your house after the big win. Everything's great until the hot plate gets too hot for the tablecloth. Now your kitchen's up in smoke. And if you don't have the right home insurance coverage, the cost to fix this could sideline your savings. So switch to Allstate, save money, and get protected from mayhem like this. Not available in every state based on coverage selected, subject to terms, conditions, and availability. Savings vary. Hey, hey, it's Malcolm Gladwell, host of Revisionist History eBay Motors is here for the ride. Your elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive entirely its own. Brake kits, LED headlights, whatever you need, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. When you're an American Express Platinum Card member, don't be surprised if you say things like, Chef, what course are we on? I've, I've lost count. Or, Shoot that, shoot that! And even, Checkout's not until 4, so... Because the American Express Platinum Card offers access to exclusive reservations at renowned restaurants, elevated experiences at live events, and 4 p.m. late checkout at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel. That's the powerful backing of American Express. See how to elevate your experiences at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Terms apply.